1: Social media is terrorizing democracy. These platforms have damaged our trust, degraded our belief in institutions and eradicated our shared stories. They are undermining the principles that raised America to the heights of civilization. Today's guest recently tackled this in a uh, in a new way with reality it was reality based an in-depth feature story for the atlantic it was titled after babel why the past 10 years of american life have been uniquely stupid in it he uses the biblical story of the tower of babel as a metaphor for the fractured country we now inhabit he argues that we live in a post babel era and that social media is largely causing our collapse He's a social psychologist and a professor at the New York University. He studies emotion, morality and politics. In his 2008 TED talk about the moral roots of liberals and conservatives, after that went wild, he turned that TED talk into a book called The Righteous Mind, which examines how politics and religion divide good people. That book was so insightful, I made it required reading for my entire Blaze Media team. In 2018, he also co-authored the national bestseller, The Coddling of the American Mind, a smart, common-sense book about the major social distortions that are ruining college campuses and creating a generation of dysfunctional Americans. He is a reasonable man, and he has become... Kind of a dinosaur in a way. I mean, he's not that he's old. It's just nobody says these things anymore. And he is troubled by the growing inability of Americans to live, work and cooperate across party lines. To fight against this trend, he founded the Heterodox Academy, a nonpartisan nonprofit devoted to protecting diversity of thought on college campuses. What a concept the idea that great minds don't always think alike, which I think should be the tagline of this podcast. Today, welcome my guest, Jonathan Haidt. You might have heard this about me, um, but in case you, you haven't, I'm a doctor, man. That means before I come on the air for this program every day, I'm busy doing doctor stuff, you know. I'm rushing patients in from... Stuff that they were doing, you know, shouting, Bring me a scalpel or a sharp steak knife, you know stuff like that save a lot of a lot of lives in my in my day's work. That's why I'm happy that I use sweatblock here's how it works. You apply sweatblock wipes at night that will literally protect you from embarrassing and uncomfortable sweat for days. Sweatblock was developed by another doctor, a Harvard doctor. <laughs> who was tired of doing presentations with the old sweat tacos under his arms. His problem became your solution. Now, if you're like me, you might not suffer from excessive sweating, like, I mean, flop sweat. But when the lights are on and the stage lights and this doctor starts to perform his surgery, sometimes the faucets turn on. Sweat block, a lifesaver for Every pitch-giving, hard-working, date-going, average person out there. You can use the wipes, which are extra intense, should be used by all teenagers, or you can just get the stick. It's regular. You put it on every every day. It's the best I've ever tried. Get it today for 20% off. Sweatblock.com, promo code BECK, or on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, how are you, sir? Fine, Glenn. Great to see you again. It is good to talk to you. Um, you are um, you're fascinating. I, I, I heard you this week with uh, Barry Weiss and uh, there were I was I was screaming at my iPad. I'm like, no, Jonathan, this you're, you're missing a piece of I think of the Babel story Great. that tell that
0: I th- me, tell me. Yeah. Let's, so you know
1: more about it than I do. Let's talk about Babel. So first, let's start with your theory on on fragmentation and, and that we're living in this post Babel era. Sure. So,
0: so I'm a I'm a professor at New York University. I've mm-hmm. been a professor since 1995. I love being a professor. I love universities, uh, but something got weird in 2014 2015. And many of your listeners and viewers will remember that here with the student protests and the safe spaces, trigger warnings, microaggressions, stuff we hadn't seen two years before. Where did it come from? And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out what on earth is happening? Because it, it wasn't just universities. It was a weirdness that spread. You know, clearly spread throughout left-wing progressive spaces, but there was also a weirdening on the right, a, a real amplification of right-wing populist movements, not just in the U.S. So it felt like something was... Really going strange about the universe that was affecting us all, and I had a strong feeling that it was something to do with social media that seemed to be what was messing us up. And I'd spent most of my career studying political polarization and tribalism, like left versus right. And you, you and I have talked about that in our yeah. previous in our previous meetings. But what was weird, you know, the last few years is that it wasn't just that the left hated the right more than before and vice versa. It was that within the left, everyone was ripping everyone to shreds. Mm. And within the right, things were nastier. And so fragmentation... Is different from tribalism. Fragmentation is where everything is coming apart, and so when I don't remember when I reread the Babel story, um, but you know, most people think they know the story. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you can uh, quote the key line. But you know, as more secular people, we kind of know. Yeah, you know, people were so proud, and God knocked over the tower. That's the story, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but when you look at the story, it's a, it's a very short story, and the key line is God. He doesn't actually knock over the tower. What he does is he says. Let us go down and confound their language so that they may not understand one another. And when I reread that line, it was like a eureka moment because, yes, that is what has happened to us. We literally cannot understand people that we're related to, that we work with. They live in a different world. We can't break through. So that was the central metaphor
1: for this essay that I wrote in The Atlantic last week. So I love it. And I think it's great. But I have been... The Tower of Babel story has bothered me for a long time. Uh, and I I keep feeling like it plays a real role here. There's something to this story. So when I heard you say that, I'm like, yes, yes. Um, however, there, if I, if I may add a couple of things, because I want to talk to you about how these might change um, your thinking, if at all. Um, you know, the part of that story that bothered me the first time was... When Nebuchadnezzar, the leader, says, you know, let's build a tower to reach the sky. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say that. He says, let us make bricks and build Mm, the tower to reach the sky. And I have a rabbi (laughs) friend. And I said, Rabbi, I've never heard a politician say that. Hey, let's raise some taxes and we're going to do these things. And then we're going to have this great tower. They always talk about the tower. They don't talk (laughs) about this. Yeah, that's right. Right. He said, because the oral tradition um, means bricks is equal to slaves. Whenever the Bible Mm -hmm. talks about stones, each are unique and you build a stone wall, you put stones together and that means the uniqueness of people coming Mm -hmm. together and building something, okay? Mm -hmm. Bricks, they're all the same. So he said that it is the elite saying, look, these people are all interchangeable. If we just make sure, if we treat them like bricks, treat them like uh, slaves or they're all the same, we can do anything. We can build this tower to the sky. So he then also said that, In the oral tradition, there are three faces of God that you always see. And it's important to know which one is talking. And this one is the merciful God. If they can do this, they can do anything. Let's confuse the language. Now, I've always looked at this story and thought our language is ones and zeros. (laughs) And with where we're going I hope that God would come down before we destroy <laughs> ourselves and confuse ah. our ones and zeros. But I was fascinated with with your mm. telling of it. But does that information at all change the Tower of Babel's uh, insight so, for you? <clears throat> let me just get this straight. What you're saying is that there's
0: a reading of the story where God does this to help us. Yes. That, that it's a
1: good thing that he destroys the tower. Yes. He's trying huh. to, he's trying to, I mean, in a really butchered sort of way here, he's trying to say um, authoritarianism uh, where everybody is exactly the same and the leadership just, mm-hmm. you're dead, move on. That hmm. has to be destroyed because if it's done um, like they were doing it then, man can't, mm-hmm. these men can do anything. Right. Um, that's interesting. The idea that it was done for our
0: benefit or as a way to stop us from being too proud. Um, I, I did a podcast with Russell Moore last week, and he suggested that there are two obvious motives. I mean, the text is so short. It's so yeah, cryptic. I know. but. But the but he said the two motives that seem to come out from what we have is one is the hubris, the ambition, we want to put, put have mm-hmm. its top in the tower. And the other is fear, because the people, it's like, so that we would not be flooded again. You know, these are the descendants of Noah that have just been flooded out. And if we build a city with a tower, then we can run up into the tower if God sends another flood. So it's fear. Mm-hmm. And... um. And so, if those are the motives, those two translate easily into social media, because why do we do the things we do on social media? We do it for reputation. We want to boast and brag and Mm -hmm. put ourselves forward and be an influencer, and that's the hubris. Um, And we do it, we attack people out of fear. We think they're going to destroy our way of life, and we want to come together and attack them in in this petty, degrading sort of way. Uh, But your interpretation, or your rabbi's friend interpretation, is very interesting about the individualism and the... Interchangeability
1: and the because and the the bricks. When it comes to social media, that's what it's doing to all of us. It is it is demanding that everybody toe this line and say these things, or they'll destroy you.
0: Well, now, hold on a second. Here's the weird thing about social media. It's not demanding that all people, 100% of people, say this thing. It's demanding that the people that I can influence in my domain or bubble must say this thing. Um, so the language policing is not necessarily enforced it's not as though you know progressives and universities are saying you and your churches must use the this language. Um, they're mostly harassing moderates on the left. They're mostly harassing people who are in their institutions, and this is one of the central ideas. I would, I would well beg to differ that it's mostly. I would say it's pretty fair on our side too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But the the key thing I wanted to get across in the article is that of course we've always had conflict. We've always yeah. we've had a culture war, left right culture war for a long time. But what changed about social media um, is that it started. It wasn't so bad. You put up pictures of your family, mm-hmm. your dog, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's when it, it's it's between 2009 and 2012 the dynamics of the platforms change, and it's it's not about sharing photos with your friends. It's now about commenting on things, on things that people say. And the retweet and the quote tweets, mm-hmm. um, it, it's much more about – so the metaphor I use is it's as though everyone got a little dart gun. And uh, Twitter in particular, that's the worst of them. It's like everyone has a little dart gun, and you can shoot as many darts as you wanted, anyone you want, and mm-hmm. there's no accountability, no due process, um, <laughs> say anything you want. And um, most people are nice. Most people don't want to destroy anybody, but that there are four groups of people who took up those dart guns with great enthusiasm. And I think they're mostly on the far left, the far right, trolls, that is individuals, mostly men, who are just jerks and just like to harass people. And then Russian intelligence agents who really used it skillfully beginning in 2014 to to make us hate each other. And they they messed with people on the left and the right to increase hate. So and have been at least very that's open argument.
1: about it, honestly. I mean yeah. it's it's been yeah. crazy how I don't know if you know um, Alexander Dugan, but he was no. he, oh you oh you should look into write him. This down. He Alexander Dugan is a guy you should study because he is his influence um with Putin has been significant in the past, but he is also somebody who has got his fingers into the far right. Um and is posing as a small T traditionalist, but he is a capital T traditionalist. He's a dangerous man.
0: The guy looks like Rasputin. I can't believe this.
1: I know. He looks like, oh yeah, you will love your journey on him. He's, (laughs) I think he's one of the most dangerous men in the world. Okay.
0: Thanks for, thanks for giving me
1: another rabbit hole to go down.
0: (laughs) But Putin's uh, philosopher. This is uncanny.
1: Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, he is. He's the guy who uh, really developed the uh, Ukraine strategy uh, for Croatia. Uh, He is he is very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. You know, my doctor said to me, Glenn, you got to get to the gym every day. And I have. And I went back to my doctor and he said, you haven't lost a pound. And I said, I'm going to the gym every day. He said, are you actually using? And I said, you didn't say that. okay?" but I'm there and I'm sitting there in that gym and I'm eating, you know, built bars, which are healthy, healthy, might be eating too many of them. uh, But they are like candy bars. They are so great, full of protein, have about 130 calories each. I just thought that meant for the box. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Now, my doctor says if you mix that protein with lifting stuff, it builds muscles. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) He's a doctor. So am I. I'm not sure that's true. But anyway, they taste great uh, and they're friendly to your waistline. Even if you're not big on working out like me, uh, you should try it. It's great. Really, really great. It's built Built.com, use the promo code Beck 15 get 15% off your order. Uh, use the promo code Beck 15 for 15% off at built.com. We are divided. We are at this place where we can't understand each other. And, mm-hmm. and Jonathan, I think you know me well enough to, to know that I may screw things up a lot, but I am actually trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I have tried. Yes. I have tried. Yeah, you've, cha-
0: you've changed your mind. You've made apologies when you were wrong. So, yeah. yes, I mean, that, that's why I'm happy to be here talking with right.
1: you. But I've tried to use, um, you know, your tips and your language and the way to to um, reach out. There is there are very few people. And especially now, it's getting much worse. Mm-hmm. There is no reconciliation on the horizon. And quite honestly, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, I mean, in a Martin Luther King way, you have to reconcile because if you don't, Mm -hmm. there's no winner. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's a winner and a loser and we can't have that. So we have to reconcile, but people are at the point where I, I can't live next to you. If you really believe that there is no yeah. freedom of speech or difference of opinion, and I have to toe that line. Mm, that's I can't. Right. I can't yeah, do it. In
0: fact, Glenn, l- l- let me ask you something. Um, I think did you used to live in in New Canaan, Connecticut? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, my. Cause I be- did you live near Ponus Ridge Road? <laughs> I lived on it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because my my sister and brother-in-law lived there. They lived there while while you were there. And I think they said that. Did did you leave because people were just nasty to you and harassing? Was that part of why you left?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So so right. So that's what's happening is that the culture war it has you know it, it has spilled out into all channels and and this was even before you know it was in twenty was it under Trump it became much more common for you know for people to harass people in a restaurant. You're in the Trump administration. I'm not going to let you have your meal yeah. in peace. And I, but I guess they were doing that to you even long before then. Um, so yes, we we ultimately will need to reconcile, and it seems as though we're very far from that. Um, but let me let me make this distinction that um, we can either look at individual Americans and we can think about what the average person wants or or we can talk about what we're like, or we can look at our public life, which is not a reflection of the average American. It's Mm -hmm. a reflection of various dynamics and pressures and incentives. And what I have always found in all of my research on morality is that most people are very reasonable, nice. If you talk to them in private, they're Mm -hmm. polite. Um, and they become jerks. They become not nice when they're performing in front of others. And so um, uh, when you put them in the wrong sort of form. So think about yeah. it this way. Um, technology allows us to connect. People have always wanted to connect. It was amazing when, you know, humans got roads and the postal service mm-hmm. and, you know, telephone and email. These are all, things all let us connect. Um but the social media platforms, that's what I'm focused on. This is not about the internet or technology. Mm-hmm. This is about a few platforms that use a particular business model in which users are not the customers, they're the product, and they are supposed to perform to get other people to watch. And so if you can imagine technology making it possible for us to have all these conversations, but all of a sudden we discover, I'm not talking to you privately over Facebook or Twitter or anything else, we're actually performing in the center of the Roman Colosseum. Yes, and the 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 stands are full of people with their refreshments and their beer and their cheer, and they want to see blood. They want to see a fight, and that's what changed in the 2010s. Um, that's my argument in the in this Atlantic essay that when social media changed and became much more about they, they changed the architecture so things could go viral much more quickly with the retweet button, the like button the share button, um, and people were much more incentivized uh, to attack others, to be outrageous, Um, that's when everything changed. We were polarized before 2009, but But in the 2010s, it was as though everyone got a dart gun and they were encouraged, shoot, shoot, shoot. The more you shoot, the more points you'll get, the more followers you'll get. And that's when I believe our institutions, our groups became structurally stupid. This is not about individual Americans being stupid. We're not a stupid people. But our institutions became stupider in the 2010s because most of us are afraid to say anything. We're afraid to challenge the orthodoxy. And that's what makes any group stupid.
1: You know, when I was when I was at uh, Fox, people said that, uh, you know, I was just saying things for ratings, et cetera, et cetera. And I tried to explain to people, look, I am a performer because my job is to there's two sides to it, to drive eyeballs to the show and then Mm -hmm. give them a message. Okay, And I know how to. I know how to perform, so it's an exciting show. It's a fun show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, it's right. Yeah, it's always been fun to listen to you, even right. when I intensely disliked you politically <laughs> back uh, when I was younger. But, but it's, it's, you, I,
0: I got to give you credit. It's a yeah. lot more. It was fun to listen to
1: you. right? So, uh, so I know that. But I have worked a long time to get there, and I know there are some people, and it almost happened to me, um, where. You know, you get to a place to maybe your ratings are starting to go down or you're whatever. And you know how to manipulate it and you lose your soul once you do. But in yes. 2010, what happened was I used to have an audience. Now my audience has an audience. And so yeah. you've, oh, unleashed, yeah. Yeah. you've unleashed millions of people who now are struggling with the same thing that they used to accuse me or others of, you don't yeah. really mean it. You're just trying to get whatever. Yeah, and that's, oh, that's I think really what's nice. happening. I like it.
0: Yes, it is. So let me introduce a psychology principle here that I think will expand on your your metaphor, your your insight. Um, so you know, many of your listeners are parents, and we all know how hard it is to change our kids. And my wife and I have tried to get our daughter to make her bed, and it's impossible. Uh, and mm. finally, my wife just gave up and she makes the bed. Mm. Um, and um, it's very hard to change your kids. On the other hand, if you take a rat or a pigeon and you put them in a Skinner box, that is a, a box where the, where the scientist can press a button to instantly give them a reward or a punishment, you can train that pigeon to play ping pong, mm-hmm. to play the piano. Uh, if you can give rewards and punishments instantly, uh, then you can train a creature very, very fast, even a rat or a pigeon. And so, what happened when your audience got an audience? What happened when everyone got on social media? Well, social media is a way in which you do something, like you post something. And I don't know about you, you know. even though I, I say how bad all this stuff is, you know, I've been posting a bunch recently because mm-hmm. of my Atlantic article, and I find myself checking. I go back and I check five minutes later. I yeah. see how many people liked it? How many yeah. little food pellets did I get? Uh-huh. So, it's incredibly powerful psychologically. It's called you know it's behaviorist conditioning and so in the old days of mass media where you were the performer you had a big audience it wasn't like that there's all kinds of interesting psychology and they shape you But that's part of what changed in the 2010s is suddenly all of us are in this little Skinner box, um, you know, our account on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And strangers are are reinforcing us or punishing us. And guess what? A lot of us get trained to do weird, weird things. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the story of why everything went crazy in
1: the 2010s. So I know that you... I mean, you really believe in the moral foundations of a society and they are all crumbling. And, yes, you know, yes. it is it's happened before. There's been two great awakenings, um, one in the 1750s and 60s, one in the 1840s and 50s. And they have they have been led outside of the church because the church You know, church is just like everything else. It'll just go corrupt and it'll worry about its standing and its power Mm -hmm. and everything else. So usually it starts from outside where people are like, hey, this is wrong. And the churches usually start to attack those people. But it changed. Martin Luther King did the same thing. Um, And uh, we are hopefully headed towards a new um, awakening. But we are so close to losing Mm. all of our moral foundations. I don't, I mean, I feel like we are really at the edge. Yes,
0: I I think that's true. But let's go into that in a little more detail. Um, So, so I'm, I, I'm a psychologist who's very interested in both evolution and anthropology. Mm-hmm. Evolution tells us how we're all the same, how we're all members of homo sapiens, we all are, have human nature. Um, anthropology tells us a lot about how we're different, how we have different norms and practices in different societies. Um, and humans evolved to live in small groups with lots of small gods and worshiping them, you know, with with animistic practices and campfires and, and mm-hmm. rhythmic music. And there, there's a sort of a, a default or normal human pattern of, of, of spirituality and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but after agriculture and the, and the agricultural revolution and and surpluses we began living in much larger societies so that's just about you know f- 7 to 10000 years ago or you know 5 to 10000 years ago we began living in larger societies and so the question is how does a society hold itself together rather than splitting apart because we didn't evolve to live in large groups but over time we've evolved cultural institutions and religion is the preeminent one so again i'm i'm coming at this from the point of view i'm i'm a jewish atheist i'm i'm raised jewish i'm a scientist i'm Mm -hmm. an atheist but i have a lot of respect for religion um which i think is why i i get invited to 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 speak at christian schools Mm -hmm. because uh you know people are very tolerant about what i believe as long as I don't show contempt for them, which, which, which I don't, when some, some researchers do,
1: unfortunately. But that used to be what united us. We could yes, disagree, right. but still listen to each other and be decent to yeah. each other.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. Because what you need for as this human society grows, you have to look at what are the forces holding us together and what are the forces splitting us apart. And traditionally, religion is religion and common language uh, and a sense of shared blood. We're all descended from the same ancestor. You know, so Jews, you know, you know, it's, you know, Abraham. We're all mm-hmm. the descendants of Abraham. So these are the techniques. These are the psychologically powerful things that hold a society together. Um, and. As you get more diversity, for example, now diversity brings many benefits for creativity, for trade, economics, but cultural diversity, religious diversity and linguistic diversity, those are like centrifugal forces that pull things out and you have to have other forces pulling things in. So you said the moral foundations are crumbling. I would translate that into a social science language more like there are binding forces and there are dividing forces. And in the post-World War II world, Boy, those binding forces were really strong. Mm-hmm. We just fought a war against fascism, and then we pivot into the Cold War. We had enemies. We had life or death struggles. We had one dominant culture. Um, it was the WASP culture, uh, which was actually pretty tolerant. Um, you know, my 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 grandparents, you know, Jewish immigrants from Poland and Russia. They were allowed to to come to be themselves. To they assimilated. Their kids became Americans. So there was a lot of things pulling us together with a sense of commonality. Part of what is crumbling um, is the 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 sense that we have a shared story. The sense we have anything that holds us together. Uh, the sense that our founding institutions are good. Every culture or many cultures worship their their ancestors, and part of the American religion is you worship the Founding Fathers, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, we have our holy documents. That's all fading away. Um, There's less respect, less uh, 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 less trust. So the things that hold us together are what are loosening, and social media has just accelerated that to an extraordinary degree. Uh, Anyway, that was a bit scattered, but yes, I, I, I do want to encourage your listeners to think about The things that have been holding us together and the things that are driving us apart. And right now we're out of balance.
1: Way out of balance. Throughout the whole world, the leading cause of death is abortion. In the U.S., murder has become a wholesale business since Roe versus Wade. We've killed over 63 million children, nearly 25 percent of pregnant mothers. Twenty five percent don't choose life. The Ministry of Preborn and Blaze Media are proud to partner up to help rescue 50,000 babies from abortion in 2022. It's not as hard as you think. Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. They are also the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the U.S. So they know when you let a woman see a baby, her baby, on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she is 80 percent more likely to choose life for her baby. Preborn partners with the clinics in the highest abortion rate cities in the regions across the country. And when the mother chooses life, they provide maternity and baby clothes, diapers, car seats, counseling, all of it free, free of charge. Preborn has a passion to save unborn babies and their moms. Over the past 15 years, preborn centers have counseled over 450,000 women considering abortion. 188,000 babies have been saved. Will you help rescue the next baby? To donate, dial pound 250. Say keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Glenn. You know, you say we're in a post-Babble era. Um, <clears throat> and what scares me about the interviews I've heard you give here recently is I've always thought of you as a guy who, uh, one of the good guys, trying to bring people together, trying just to speak mm-hmm. the truth, um, and, uh, and an optimist. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard, yeah. uh, you know, the screaming yeah. optimism <clears throat> from you. Lately, I mean, I think you said recently uh, that, uh, gosh, where was it? Um, I just wrote it down just a second ago. But you basically are saying, you know, we're we're coming to an end here of democracy.
0: Mm-hmm. Let, okay, let me elaborate on that. Okay. Um, I, by temperament, yes, I'm generally optimistic. Uh, and for a long time I believed the, the there's some wonderful books. Steve Pinker has a book mm-hmm. on the, the better angels of our nature. Love it. Um, uh, there's Matt Ridley's book, The Rational Optimist. Yep. You know, people have always thought society's falling apart, and yet you know, prosperity rises, health increases, rights increase. So I've long been a believer in that theory that there are temporary setbacks, but the long-term trajectory of humanity is very good. In the last three or four years, I'm I'm much more doubtful, I'm much more pessimistic. And what I would say is, if we don't make these big changes, if we continue on the path we're going on, then I believe we will fail as a country within, it's hard to say a number, but yeah. I mean, within 10 years, I think we will have high levels of political dysfunction, there'll be more political violence, there'll be less trust, um, and our, our young generation, which is already really messed up, they're going to be the ones running the show. So if we don't make major changes, then yes, I think we will fail as a country. Um, that doesn't mean civil war necessarily, but it means more like I think there many Latin American countries, many countries yeah. around the world have tried to enact democracy with weak institutions. And I think we'll become like them, but that there's a big, if there. that's if we don't do anything, okay, if so, we but,
1: just continue fighting each other. All right. So then what are the things we have to do to cure that? I mean, honestly, Jonathan, yeah. I've wanted to call you so many times ago, Jonathan, can you just, can you spend a weekend <laughs> with <laughs> me and just tell do. me what to do? Cause yeah. I, I mean, there are millions of people that, want to solve this. We just don't know what to do.
0: That's right. So actually... I am actually a lot more optimistic now than I was when I wrote the article, and that was just last month that I wrote it. Mm. And here's why: um, you know, once I once I realize it's not that we're all going crazy, we're not. Um, it's that there are four groups that are super empowered by viral social media, and they are, as I said, the far right, the far left, trolls, and Russian agents or other uh, the, uh, other intelligence agents that are trying to split us. Um, then there's the middle eighty percent of the country there's the most of us the middle 80% is very reasonable and so the fact that i published this article and i'm not getting attacked in fact nobody's disagreeing with it there's a, there seems to people are seem, seem to be saying like I'm totally exhausted. Oh my God, yes, this article at least explains what the hell's going on. Why are we all exhausted? Why have we all been attacked by strangers for no reason? Um, So I'm actually encouraged because we're on a ship that is sinking. We're on a ship that is taking on water. It, It can be repaired. It's not destined to sink. But if we don't do anything, it will sink. And we don't know what to do because all we see is the you know the, the, the sailors are just fighting each other. The crew is just fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And we're the passengers and we're saying like, what do we do? And I think w- now there's a dawning realization that the ship is sinking. The people are supposed to be running it are just too busy fighting each other. So we, the passengers, have to actually take action. The middle 80% has to stand up. And what that means... Actually, let me run this by because I haven't said this anywhere else. Let me see if this makes sense. What this means is um, the because because our leaders are so intimidated by their extreme wings. If if you're a president of a university, you're intimidated by the the young woke left. If you're a moderate Republican politician, you're getting death threats from people on the right. So I think what this means is the 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 leaders and the and the more moderate people have to stand up to their wings. University presidents have to stand up and say, you know, no no you know this university is devoted to the pursuit of truth we're not we're not here to to fight for racial justice or any sort of of social justice you do that on your own time that's great we hope we'll give you the tools but we have a job to do and our job is the pursuit of truth and the passing on of the best that has been said and thought Um, so so if if we have a dawning realization that the ship is sinking but the great majority of us don't want it to sink. We want to fix the ship. We want to fix the game. Um, then I think there are some reforms that can be done. So first, let me just check with you. Do you agree with that analysis that the more moderates and responsible people, the leaders of the institutions, they have to stand up to their extremes? Or do you, do you think yeah, no, there's I any think, symmetry here?
1: No, no, no. I, I, the, the, there's a perspective here that you may not have that I, I could help enhance this a little bit or at least pose the question to you. I think you're right Um, There has to be there. There are no. Where's the Churchill? Where where's the Churchill of Mm -hmm. business? Where's the Churchill of of universities? Where's the Churchill Mm -hmm. of parties? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, They're scarce Um, uh, and they have to stand up. But I I will tell you that I feel like the right. uh, You know, the the, not the far fringe, the Mm -hmm. regular person. And I think. I don't know, but I know when I go to my farming community, I talk to Democrats and they're the same way that I am. Just can we not just live together? Okay. yes. Um, And and that has to be led. But the people on the right feel like we have been cast as. Wanting to kill people because we disagreed, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, wanting to starve children to death. Yes. All of these things were racist. We're angry. We're white. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff. That until you start to see leadership, and I think you are one of these. Um, Bagosian is one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, others like this. Barry Weiss is one. Where they mm-hmm. stand up and go, you know what? I, I'm not a conservative. But this is nuts. Um, Yeah, that's right. We can rally if we see that. But until conservatives Mm -hmm. start to see people on the left going, "Okay, you you Marxists that want to burn the Mm -hmm. entire thing to Mm -hmm. the ground. You got to stop until we see that. I don't think we'll have the trust. Does that make sense to you? it
0: it sure does but but i think this is where the asymmetry lies because people on each side point to the extremes yes. of the other with justification but there's an interesting asymmetry. So what I said in the article is that the problem on the left is not the Democratic Party per se because the Democratic Party per se is actually it's usually the moderates who win. It's not it's not the, the the extreme wing is not in charge. They they have voice, they're involved, but they're not dominating the Democratic Party. They are dominating the institutions as you say. So so people on the right are correct in pointing out the nastiness, the the, the the instant, you know, they will instantly call you racist for anything. Just So they're right. People on the right are correct in saying the things you said. But, you know, you've got to take the take the plank out of your own eye before you can point out the the, 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 the um, splinter in your neighbor's eye. Um, what I argue in the essay is that the asymmetry is that is that normal conservatives are not doing this to liberals, but the Republican Party... I believe, has gone off the deep end um, under Trump. Uh, The the party of Mitt Romney was at least a responsible center-right party. Now here, I'm sure many of your listeners will have strong reactions against this, but it seems to me as someone in the middle, what I'm saying is the cultural left is a huge problem because it's, it's warping institutions, but on the right, it's not the cultural right; it's the Republican Party, and the fact that they couldn't even stand up after the January 6th insurrection and and say that we should study this or say that oh, many of uh, us this did, is wrong.
1: many of us did.
0: Okay, and I, what I, happened? You tell, please it, tell me what happens to what happens to more moderate Republicans who stood up and 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 well, and, I will tell you set. on the
1: January 6th thing. Um, until the Biden administration started going on this massive witch hunt and saying it was the worst thing that has happened since the Civil War. I mean, let's go back to the 90s where the left blew the Capitol up, blew part of the Senate up. Um, It has happened before. And quite honestly, I don't uh, I was disgusted by it. And quite honestly, I was disgusted that the president I was at home going, where's the president? Where's the president? Mm -hmm. And then when he did something on the phone online, I was like, that's that's not what a president does. Most people that I know felt exactly the same way. Most, uh, uh, if not all, fell that way, felt that way Mm -hmm. that I know. Um, However, once it became a tool, it stopped being about Donald Trump and started Mm -hmm. to be about the 90 million people that voted for him. You lost mm-hmm. it, you know. It's just the the left was like, "What are you What are you doing? You didn't go after the people who were burning cities, and you're going after this yeah. group that most of us don't yeah. relate to at all." Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, but so here here we're going down the path of normal moral psychology, and and you see this one in your kids. You know, if you if you if you you know if your kid does something wrong, the standard response is, "Well, but he did it. He does yeah, I know, it too, I know, I know. or he did something else," and so. Um, so uh, everyone's complaints about the other side are are legitimate, are justified. Um, and the only way we're going to get out of that is by totally breaking out
1: of that dynamic. So but wait, saying, wait, wait, wait. So wait, wait. Um, help me out with this part then. Because I think, because you remember, I was not for Donald Trump um, when he ran the first time. Not right, for that's him. Right. Yeah, that's um, right. And yeah. took a bad beating for it. For his policies. Don't like the tweets and all of that crap that comes with it. It's, um, it's really, degrading for president. Yeah. Yes. Really despicable January 6th, yada, yada. Even though, um, uh, you know, I thought there was foul play, but I couldn't prove it. So nobody could prove it. I kept saying, if you got something, show it. If you don't, mm-hmm. shut up. You know, yes. you don't have That's anything. Right. right? Um, so uh, when you look at that, but I have learned what people see in Donald Trump is, you know, you said that the very beginning of this, that you started to see people rise up all around the world, the right Mm -hmm. and everything else. There's one thing that they have in common, because I've I've watched this as well. Hong Kong, France, Brexit, Mm -hmm. uh, Canada here in the United States. It's happening all over the world. And it, what they all have in common is they feel as though their government is not listening to them, Yeah, you yes. know, mm-hmm. and and demeaning them and the things that they believe in. And so yeah. they will follow yeah. people who say, I listen to you. I yeah. listen to you. And that's right. That's what Donald Trump has in spades yeah. to the people who voted for him. They're like, mm-hmm. at least somebody is valuing my my opinion and my, my, my values. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think that's
0: a good analysis. <laughs> I'm focused on the social media aspect, but there's an economic aspect here, which is what you just put your finger on, that the left used to be related to labor. It was mm-hmm. the party of the working man. Uh, it was related, you know, so uh, and the Republican Party used to be the party of, you know, the rich country club business right. people. Right. And what's happened, not just in the U.S., exactly the same thing in the U.K. and, and in, you know, in France and in all the Western democracies, um, is as the, uh, as the highly educated people, uh, the knowledge workers, the journalists, the professors, um, since they, as they're, they've come to be the center of the left party, whether it's labor in the mm-hmm. U.K. or Democrats here, they live in Paris and New York. I mean, you know, Paris, London, New York, San Francisco, mm-hmm. they, they refer contemptuously to the flyover zone, the flyover yes. country. Um, they do treat most people with contempt. They have no connection to the working man, um, and so yes, this has been a glo- uh, the changing economics of globalization, education, knowledge work, all this stuff has changed the the left right the nature of the left right conflict in our country. And I agree, the left does treat the right with contempt. Well, no, and wait that a minute, wait, wait, wait. Is why they
1: don't win elections now, right? But I think there's a difference. I think the split is because I talk to Democrats. And we may not agree on every policy, but we agree on direction and principles. Not everybody. I'm not talking about the political class. I'm talking about the regular people. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, when you really look at it, it's really becoming the ruling class all over the world. This group Mm -hmm. of elites that really look down their nose at everybody else and then everybody else. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm finding strange bedfellows all the time that we don't agree on tell policies. Me, tell me about it. Okay, so, so, so how would you go about, because I agree, I agree with
0: you that there is this rise of the elites and, and uh, you know, bad elite, I mean, if you have good elites, and those are the ones that got us through World War II, that was Churchill, yeah. you know, if you have good elites with a sense of service, uh, you need elites to run a country. And if we have this more meritocratic elite, where they feel they're elite because they did so well on the SAT that they got into the top schools Correct. and then they got to the top schools. So Meritocracy our elite,
1: now, elite is great.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> if it's true merit as opposed yes. to test
1: taking. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah.
0: yes. So so I, I agree with you that a part of our problem is that we don't have elites with a sense of
1: service. We have elites who think that they deserved or They deserve their elite, elite status. I mean, <clears throat> you have Elon Musk. Mm. I disagree with Elon Musk on so much, I'm sure. But yep, man, but I would man vote does for he him. Have vision, I love him <laughs> yeah. because he's seeing. He sees past <laughs> yeah. all this crap and like this is yep. crap. Let's go here. Yeah. He's the Let's only go to Mars. one, yes. right? Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem too. The, lo- the lack of vision. So, but let me kick this back to you. I, I put this <laughs> out as, I put this out as we need to somehow mobilize the middle eighty percent, the reasonable people and it's not like we need to like tear things down it's we need to like restore reason to our institutions we need to to have our, our schools need to focus on education. You know, the, the CDC needs to focus on health. Um, uh, we have to keep political concerns out of things. I, I kind of We need like a Geneva Convention for the culture wars, so that people mm-hmm. don't assault you at a, at a picnic in New Canaan or at yeah. a, in a restaurant, in, you know, in Washington. Um, how do you think we can get there? I, you said before, you know, the left has to stop doing this to the right. That's not going to stop. And as long as there's Twitter, no, as no. long as anyone, as long as anyone has done anything, right. you're going to find out about it. So right. how, how do you think we can get out of so
1: this? So it requires, just like you said, I think leadership in okay. positions, all positions, you know, leadership you're standing up at the PTA and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're speaking to your school board with respect and lead that way. Um, and then just follow the system and it's happening all over the country. You, come, you become you know, the, the school board member. And then somebody else has to stand up and, and be yeah. courageous around you if you start to go, you know, corrupt. Um, we have to have them in all levels of people who just really, truly want to um, fix the problem and use common sense. But I really don't think, Jonathan, and this is new for me, um, I really don't think you'll do it until you reduce the size of the government. It is absolutely corrupt you have to get the power back closer to the people this won't work in probably any other country but ours if we still understand it but i'm not sure the next generation understands capitalism understands hard work has the has the courage to be an entrepreneur i don't know if they have that um no, I'm afraid I'm afraid they don't. Because one of
0: the hallmarks of Gen Z is that they're anxious, they're fearful, they're risk averse because we never let them practice risk taking. Right. Um, so actually if I could just steer our conversation just for a moment. I want to come back to what you just said, but but a big piece of this and a big reason for my pessimism is that we've messed up Gen Z oh, in yeah. two ways. What we've done to them is kids need to be out playing, especially between age seven and twelve. That's when all the children's stories take place, you know, the kid goes out on an adventure without yep. parents. That's the crucial period of cultural learning for 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 human children. They need to have unsupervised free play. And what we did is we said, instead of that, uh, we think you'll get kidnapped if we we Amen. let you out, which doesn't which doesn't happen. Um, so we're not going to let you out. Oh, and instead yeah. we're going to give you a phone and an iPad, and you can just be on that. And that basically blocks all the experience that they need. To grow, um, so if, for for everybody listening to this, think about your community. Think about what what age kids are let out. Think about when you were let out. And I've done this all over the country. It used to be six to eight. It mm-hmm. was you know first, second, or third grade. By third grade, everyone's out playing with no adult supervision. Yep. That's the normal human thing, and that's true in other countries I've been to. All of a sudden, in the '90s, we stop that. We freak out about child abduction, even though there are almost zero children abducted other than by the non-custodial parent. Right. We freak out about it in part because of cable TV. Freakouts, um and we we over protect our kids they don't learn the virtues that you're talking about mm-hmm. the virtue how do you learn to be a leader how do you learn to resolve conflicts it's with unsupervised free play team competition with no referee you have to supervise yourselves so kids need to have a lot more free play and a lot less time on their devices they should not be on social media in particular until after puberty until i think 16 is the minimum age um I'm not telling your listeners to just get your kid off right away because that could isolate them. But work in your community. This is the thing. Work on your community so that there's a place where kids play or you have you have you know you you and your friends, uh, you, you and your kids' friends. Families are all agree kids should be out or over at each other's homes playing out outside. Um, so we've got to we've got to change what we're doing to kids more free play, less time on phones. I urge your listeners to go to LetGrow.org. Mm-hmm. It's uh, an organization I co-founded with Lenore Skenazy, who wrote the book Free Range Kids. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little. This is an area. Look, this is a totally nonpartisan issue. Yep. This is one where we really can work mm-hmm. together. Um, and actually four states have already passed laws legalizing outdoor play sounds like a crazy thing to say but in most states if your kid is caught playing outside they could be taken uh, they could, you know uh, child it's protective insanity. services called it. it's insane. insane completely insane yeah yeah so colorado was the most recent one to pass a, uh, pass a bill. Uh, uh, Utah was the first. Um, so wherever you are listening to this, find, go to letgrow.org and look at uh, our page on legislation. Find out if your state has a reasonable childhood independence law, because we have to give our kids reasonable independence to develop those virtues that you're talking about, yeah. virtues that conservatives in particular are eloquent about. Self-reliance. Don't blame others. Take responsibility. Uh, you know, Learn to share. Work it out yourself. These are the things kids learn in play. So we have to do that. We have to keep them off social media till 16. And then the next generation will be a little more able to take risks. We've deprived them of the chance to learn how to how to calibrate risk. Um, so anyway, the, that's just building off what you said about the importance of uh, leaders who are willing to take right. reasonable
1: risks. Jonathan, I know you've got a tight time schedule. So do I. I would I would love to do this again early and often. I, You are... A rare mind uh, and a rare voice in today's world.
0: Okay. Well. Well. Thank you, Glenn. I love talking with you. I love the way you you think about things. You you you'll you'll change your position when you you think the facts have changed. Uh, and it's just fun to talk to you. Yeah, so likewise.
1: thanks for having me on again. Thank you. God bless. Just a reminder.